We're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to look at the life of Absalom. And I got a, I got a question. How many, how many of you come from families or um, are now currently in a family where you have stepsisters, stepbrothers, somebody step in the family, half-sister, half-brother, a blended family? How many come from something like that? All right, I could raise my hand. Um, some of you may not know this, but I have one brother. I have four stepsisters, four of them. We get along great. Uh, the reason why is we never live together. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we got a great relationship. Um, some, some, when that happens in the beginning, it's very hard uh, to, to deal with. Uh, my brother, um, he has two kids with his first wife. Um, and then he married a, a woman with five kids. And then he has two kids with her. So do the math. That's nine children. Um, the, the five that he married into, uh, my uh, sister-in-law, three different husbands. So uh, the five kids, three different fathers. So out of the seven kids, they have four different fathers. Now, that's a lot when you think about it. And a lot of people involved in in different things, uh, family that has gone on. One of them um, tragically passed away of cancer at 16 years old. And, um, and there's eight um, of them. And yet uh, there is friction and fights like you would not believe. And that's what happens in a lot of these blended families. Imagine being one of David's children. Look at this. When it comes up here in about five minutes. One of David's children. It's hard to see. He had eight named wives in the Bible. Plus other wives that are unnamed. Plus that wasn't enough for him. He needed some concubines. And he had children with most of these. We know one of them didn't have a child because she caught him dancing and got mad. And, and, um, and God said, you ain't going to have children. But you look, at, you look at this, different children. So there's half-brothers, half-sisters, all kinds of stuff going on in this family. It's a mess. And really, if David doesn't think it's a mess, he makes it a mess. By sinning with Bathsheba. And he hears these words. Look at this here. In 2 Samuel 12, 11, he hears these words. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from where? Your own household. How would you like to be told that? Your own children, your own, the own people in your very household are going to cause you problems. And, and you think about that. David didn't think about that when he committed the sin with Bathsheba. He didn't think of all the ramifications and all the things that would happen to his family. I often think of how children pay the consequences often because of the parents' sinful actions. God help us. Help me as a father. I remember one friend of mine, he left his wife, his wife left him, and, and, um, and his children had to live in this little shack. And I'll never forget the child asked me, why do I have to pay for the sins of my parents? It happens. 
They pay the consequences. We don't only pay the consequences, but our families do. And he says, I will raise up evil from your own household. And so, welcome to Absalom. He's going to fulfill this. And we're going to watch this as we go through the scriptures here. Notice that in um, 2 Samuel chapter 13, if you ever have in your devotions, you probably wouldn't hear this story in Sunday school. This is a very sad and tragic story of Amon and Tamar and their relationship, how he falls in love, quote-unquote, with his half-sister and rapes her. And then she's left desolate, and, and he doesn't take responsibility for it, and, and Absalom hears about it. And we're going to pick up the story when Absalom hears about it here in 2 Samuel thirteen twenty. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amon, your brother, been with you? I mean, this is an abomination before the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, it said, don't you even desire your half-sister. Don't even desire the people in your vote. But he not only desired, he raped her. He says, has Ammon, your brother, been with you? That's words for, did he rape you? Uh, he says to her, but now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. He's saying, don't let this destroy your life. I'm going to take care of the matter. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother's Absalom's house. That word desolate is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. It speaks of somebody whose life is ruined. He destroyed her life. What would you do as a father? You hear your daughter's been raped. What would you do as a brother? You hear your sister's been violated. Well, look at the very next verse. Verse 21, it says, But King David heard of all these matters, and what? He was angry. He's mad. He's, in, he's enraged. I could just see the king turn red. What in the world happened? He's enraged. He's, he's mad. But that's it. He doesn't do anything. You would think that David would get up from his throne and say, You know what? This kid is in trouble. Let's get him out of the land. Let's do something. He does nothing. You know why he does nothing? Because his leadership position's already been compromised. He just committed adultery and murder with Bathsheba. And now he can't really say much to his own son. So he's angry. He's mad. And he does nothing. How sad is that? But. Absalom is mad. And so mad, it says in verse 22, that he did not speak to his brother, either good or bad. And this lasted for two years. So Absalom is mad because his, his sister, his full sister, was violated by his half-brother, Amon. He's mad. He's going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to do something about it. So what does he do? He waits two years. He doesn't even talk to his brother, good or bad. He waits two years and finally invites his brother to a party. He says, hey, we're having a party. All the king's sons are coming. You need to come to this thing. It's going to be exciting. And Amon doesn't know what's going to happen. And Amon goes there. And they pull out the Jim Beam. And they start to drink here. And, and Amon's feeling good. And all of a sudden, what happens? What does he say here? Look what Absalom does. Um, he says here, it, in two years, he says, he gets, he gets Amon killed here. He goes, Absalom commanded his servant, saying, See now, when Amon's heart is merry with wine... And when I say to you, strike Amon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have I not myself commanded you? Be courageous and be what? 
So guess what happens? He gets his revenge. He gets his revenge. Everything's great now, right? Oh no. Oh no. Now he's got to deal with King David. Now, 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 now it's going to get really hard here. He has to flee. He has to hide. He has to go away for three years. And where does he go? To grandpappies. Let me just tell you something. When fathers don't step up, I am thankful that a grandfather in my life stepped up. When my dad was not there for me, my grandfather was there for me. When Absalom wanted was a father, somebody that was going to take command, take control. When his dad did not step up, he went to his grandfather. And he hid there for three years. And you, you would think that, 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 that David would want nothing to do with his son now. He's so mad at his son, but that's not what the Bible says. Look what the Bible says here in, in 2 Samuel 13, 29. After they, they, they killed Amon, look what happens here. Uh, he flees to his grandfather and it says that David longed to go out to Absalom. He longed to see him. And here's one of the most disturbing verses you're going to find in the Bible. For he was comforted concerning Amon since he was dead. You know what it's saying there? It's saying that David kind of felt relieved that this happened. That his son that, that raped his daughter is now dead. Wow. But he longed to see him. He longed to see him. But he doesn't go and see him. Why not? What's wrong with this David? Why won't he go and see his son? So Joab has to do this scheme here, get, get somehow Absalom to come back into town. And notice what happens. Absalom finally comes back into town. David allows it. But this is amazing here. Look at this. Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. But look at the very next verse. However, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. In other words, bring the kid back, but I don't want to see him. I want nothing to do with him. He can be here for two years, but I don't want to look at him. I don't want him. Let me, let me just tell you something. I've, I've never, I, I see this happen. I, I, I don't understand how this happens in family. I see this happen over and over in churches. and I don't understand how people can live their lives, call themselves believers, call themselves washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and yet say, I will never talk to that person. Something is seriously wrong with the heart. When we are washed by the blood of Christ and as we let time go, I'm here to tell you, things don't get better. In fact, the Bible says this, do not let what? The sun go down on your what? Anger. You don't let one day. He let two years. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where finally King David says, let him come. But you know what? I don't want nothing to do with him. I don't want nothing to do with him. I don't even want to see his face. I, I, want him, I don't even want him here. I mean, can you imagine as a son living like that? Now, this is pretty an extreme case because one son killed the other son. So we can understand David's anger a little bit. 
But I'm here to tell you, that's not with us. A lot of times, these are over petty things that we don't want to talk to people. I, I remember two ladies in the church. I couldn't believe this. They came for, to show up. We were going to do evangelism. Both of them came. They show up for evangelism. It was, in, it was in Argentina. They show up, and we pick the evangelistic groups, and we tell the one lady to go one place, and one lady to go the other, and we divide them up. The lady came up to me afterwards. She said, I am so glad you divided us up. I'm not talking to that lady. I said, what? She goes, yeah, we're mad at each other. I said, over what? Because she had a plant that she wanted for the church, and I didn't want that plant. That's at times as a pastor you want to go. Right? I mean, yeah. Over a plant? You know what blows my mind? They were there to evangelize and help people be reconciled with God when they can't even be reconciled over a plant. We see things like this happen, petty stuff, imagined stuff in our minds that separates families. Things that aren't even real. Brother against brother that don't talk. Sister against brother. Inheritance, money issues, you, you name it. Petty stuff that will never last. And he tells his own kid, I don't want to see you. Wow, how sad is that? You know, Absalom is done playing games. He's done playing games. It's been five years now since he murdered his brother. And he says, you know what? I'm done playing games. The king doesn't want to see me. Why did he bring me here? The king doesn't want to see me. You know what he tells him? He says, either he kills me or I go. Watch this. Holding on to resentment always hinders reconciliation. Absalom, he has this outer beauty. Watch this guy. Look how, look how beautiful he is. This is an amazing guy. Look at 2 Samuel 14, 25 for a moment. Look at this. He says, now in, now in all Israel, and here's where I can relate to him, no one was as handsome as Absalom. I didn't get one amen. I've been waiting like two minutes here. No one is as handsome as he is. This guy's a hunk. And highly praised for his looks. All right, we see some of these kings, they're handsome kings, but you can't, none of them we can say that no one was as handsome as he. he no one is as handsome as he. Highly praised. People are like praising this guy. Look at his beauty. He's an amazing guy. They love, he's a people person. Look at this, 25, this bothers me. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect. He didn't even have a pimple. I used to get so mad as a kid when I got pimples. I was like, oh, another one. Oh, people are going to make fun of me. I'm 47. I still get them. I thought they were going to go away one day. They don't go away. They just keep coming back. I don't know. Maybe if I see trauma with one, I'm going to die. But you know, you, you get them. They keep coming back. This guy has no pimples, no defects, no diseases. He is perfect on the outside. On the inside, he is manipulative. He has no character, no heart for God. But he is highly praised on the outside. In fact, here's what really bothers me. Look at verse 26. When he cut his hair on his head at the end of the year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him so he can cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels. You know how much that weighs? That's about three to five pounds. I measure my hair. I'm lucky if I get a shekel. You know what I mean? He got 200 shekels. <laughs> hair is overrated, by the way. Amen. Amen. There we go. 
We only got two options when it comes to hair. It goes white or out of sight. Amen? And some of you, it's out of sight. The angels count the number of the hairs on our heads. Some of you guys don't give them any trouble. But anyway, you got the 200. Imagine that. Imagine all that hair. I mean, this guy looks like Thor. I mean, he's got the, the hair flowing, the muscles going, the, the beautiful, no defect, no pimples, no. I mean, he is perfect. And he goes to his father. And can you believe he says this to his father? He says, either you accept me or you kill me. I'm done playing games with you. Watch this. He makes an ultimatum in verse 32. Why'd you bring me here? What's going on here? Accept me or execute me? Take me back or just end my life? I remember a, a young guy in, in the church in Sheraton that said this to his girlfriend. If you don't meet me in this place, I will end my life. She didn't come and he ended his life. How sad. Absalom with all his beauty and outward externals, his manipulative, how he's man, he manipulates everything. He says to his father, you will either accept me or you will kill me. I am done playing games. So what does David do? What would any father do in that time? David goes and he kisses his son and he accepts him. Second Samuel 14.33 And Joab came to the king and told him and he called for Absalom and the king came out and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king and the king did what? He kissed him. He restored his son. You're restored back. You're free to roam. Don't be scared of your life. You're back. You're my son. Remember back then, a kiss meant something. Some of you, you non-Italians in the crowd here, you don't understand kisses. We kiss as a family. We're Italians kiss everybody. I kiss people I didn't even know. I hated kissing. You know, hey, kiss Pete. You know, I don't even know Pete. Give him a kiss. He's my friend. I had to kiss everybody. I kissed everyone all over. But you know, you guys, you don't kiss as much, you know, because you're, some of you guys are, you know, I mean, I don't know. Do Germans even kiss? But anyway, you know, I know. You get second, you know, you didn't give a little kiss. You know what a kiss means? A kiss means you're restored. You're back. You're my son. <laughs> if I'm Absalom, thank you, Dad. I've made my mistakes. I've done what's wrong. But not this kid. This kid decides to take the throne from his father. And watch how he does it. He uses politics. You ready for this? Look at this. Absalom's scheme. He pretends he is something he's not. I mean, he is a guy that doesn't have any defect at all. He's beautiful, but he has to pretend he's something he's not. He came about after this. Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. And so he gets this big crowd. He's got this chariot. He comes out. He's got horses. He's got 50 guys running before him. I mean, here he is. I mean, this guy must be popular. He's something, you know. And he got all these people around him. Welcome to politics, by the way. Not all politicians are like this, but probably the, the majority of them are. And you look at this and you see, they pretend that there's something. They got these big crowds behind them, all these people supporting them. Look at the next thing he pretends. In, in 2 Samuel 15, 2, he pretends he's the solution to their problem. We've heard this over and over, haven't we? Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. The gate is where they did the business. And when any man had a, had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call and say to him, from what city are you from? Uh, a little chit-chat here. Where are you from? You know, let me know. Oh, I'm, I'm from one of the tribes as well. Uh, 
Oh, you have a claim against my dad. Okay, well, you know what? Your claims are good. Your claims are right. But nobody listens to you. So here's what you need to do. Vote for me. If I'm the man, I'm going to solve your problems. Oh, look what he says here in verse 4. Oh, that one would appoint me as judge in the land, then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Have we heard this before? Have you ever heard anything like, read my lips, no new taxes. <laughs> Tired of the vaccines? Vote for me. I'm going to make sure that you never have to worry about a vaccine again. Don't like masks? Vote for me. I'm your man. I'm going to get rid of the mask mandate. You, uh, you, you haven't, are you, just, uh, the economy's bad. Vote for me. You got a student loan. I'll get rid of your student loan. <laughs> Vote for me. I'm the solution to your problems. And while he is doing that, he is giving jabs to his father. He's saying, my dad's not giving you justice. I'll give you justice. My dad's not listening to you. I'll listen to you. You put me in there. I'll take care of it. And you want to know something that's really sad about this? He pretends he really cares about the people. Look at verse 5. And when a man came near to him, he'd prostrate himself before him. He, told, he would put out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. You want to get on somebody's side? You want to be a fake? Pretend that you actually like and care for them. But let me just tell you something. That is wicked. Yes. I've had enough of those people in my life that play the game that they care when they can care less. It's, it's amazing. I was, I was meditating on this passage and me and Katie were in the room and I've been waiting to put me on different medicine now because my Italian blood sometimes boils and the cholesterol goes up high with it. And, and so they're going to put me on different medicine. But I've been waiting for over a week for them to get back and finally they call up and I answer the phone and I hear, Shut up! Shut up! I'm like, hello? Oh, hi, is this Jeremy? Hi, we're so happy that we're here to help you. Know, the lady didn't know I could hear her tell shut up to whoever she was telling shut up to. Does she really care about me? Is she really worried about my health? I doubt it. Do these people really care? All they care about is themselves. To get their crowd, to get their votes, to get what they get. And they, all they care about is them. And they'll pretend they care, they're on your side. And he did. He took their hand and gave them a kiss. I'm with you. Didn't care about him. You know what's sad? Look at this, verse 6. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came before the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of what? Israel. The Hebrew word there for stowaway means he duped them, he tricked them, he's got them now on their side. And he did this for four years. And so for four years, he's getting Israel to start coming to him. David is losing his kingdom. He's, his own son now wants to have him killed and trying to take his throne. And, and David is at the lowest point of his life. Let me ask you this. Imagine, imagine what happens here. His, his daughter gets raped and now is desolate. His son, his firstborn is killed. His thirdborn now is trying to take the throne and in trying to get him killed, he has to flee for his life. What would you do at the lowest point of your life when this happens? 
I'll tell you what I would do. I'd post on Facebook, I need prayer. Right? Isn't that amazing people do that? I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a bad day. They put it on Facebook, pray for me. You know what David does? This is, the most, this is what struck my heart. And watch what David does here. He's fleeing for his life. And one of his priests says, you know what? If your son's going to get your throne, he's not going to get the throne of God. We're going to take the ark of God and we're going to go run with it. And watch what David does. Look at this. This is amazing. When all things seem in disarray, submit to God's will. Look at this in 2 Samuel 15, 25. Then the king said to Zadok, return the ark of God to the city. We're not taking the ark around like this good luck charm and go around. We're going to put the ark back. And here's what he says. This is amazing. Watch his heart. Watch David's heart. By the way, he's writing Psalm after Psalm. Psalm 4. Psalm, Psalm 3 he writes. Psalm 55. He writes a lot of Psalms during this time while he's running from his son. But if you look at this in 2 Samuel 15, 25, he says this, if I find favor in the sight of the Lord, and then, then he will bring me back and show me both it and its habitation. Look at verse 26. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. So here is David at the worst part of his life. His daughter's been raped. His son has been killed. His other son wants the throne. And what does he say to God? Here I am, Lord, have your will. Wow. How many of us, when we're at the worst point of our lives, when things just seem in total disarray, where everything just seems out of hand, where life is just so out of control, do we go before the altar of God and just say, God, here I am, do what you please? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Lord, if it's your will that my own son comes and kills me, then let your will be done. That, my friends, is called submission to God. That is very hard. Because what we pray is, Lord, change my son. Lord, change this person. Lord, change my circumstances. Lord, change what's going on. And David doesn't pray any of that. He says, get that ark. Put that ark back. This is not some good luck charm. It, God is God. And God has every right to do what he wants. So I am right here, God. Do what you want with my life. Wow. At the lowest moment. He submits to God. And you see, God bless that. Because here's Absalom using all his charm, his beauty, his false promises, and he's gaining the people. David, with his sacrifice and service, is losing the people, but he comes before God and he says, whatever is good to you, you do to my life. It gets worse after this moment. Sometimes we get off the altar and we're like, everything's going to get better after I do that before God. Watch out. It may get worse. Some people get before God and say, I got a child that's not living for you, Lord. I just submit to you. I bow whatever. And now the child continues to be even worse. I got a spouse that, that is doing this, Lord. I submit to you. I pray. And then it gets even worse. For David, it got even worse. Because this son that's going after him, took his concubines and in public showed the whole world who's king by sleeping with him. Wow. 
It got worse. And David says, we got to do something, but you know what? You guys don't kill my son. Don't touch my son. We find him, we get him, but you do not kill him. Did they listen? Watch what happens. This kid with all this beautiful hair, in 2 Samuel 18, 9, it says this, Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of God. Uh, David, I'm sorry. For Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. That's why I'm thankful for short hair. <laughs> so he was left hanging between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him kept going. Do you know the mule was a sign of his authority, his royal throne, he's taken the throne. Now the mule is going, it's gone. There goes his kingdom. Here's a guy with a chariot and 50 men run up. Now he's all alone. He's got no one. And he's helpless between, he's hanging on that tree and he's helpless. And Joab comes and he says this in verse 14. I'm not going to waste my time. Takes three sticks, three spears, thrust them in the very heart of the kid. He didn't die right away because in verse 15, 10 young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around him and struck Absalom and killed him. He lost his life. He never got the throne. Even though he set up a monument for himself. Isn't it ironic that what he used to get ahead turned to be what destroyed him? He used his beauty to get ahead and his very beauty is what caught him in a tree and got him killed. Now, if I'm David, I don't know how I would react, but you know what? Here's how David reacted and probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Look at verse 33 in, in David's grief here. It says, the king was deeply moved and went up to his chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He's crying out to God. Oh, my son, if I can only be in your place. Oh, my son. And really what he's saying is he's living with tremendous amount of guilt at this point. He's saying to himself, you know, wow, I, I, if I would have done this, maybe if I just would have paid attention, if I would have stepped in when Ammon did what he did. But he didn't. Or maybe if I would have changed something and made it a little bit different, he's, he's got a lot of guilt. I've actually seen that scene in person. When my father, who chose drugs over his family, who contracted HIV and wound up dying of AIDS, I remember at his deathbed him weeping and holding me and saying, son, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. The regret of what could have been, but never was. That's David at this point. Because he never stepped in. He never did what he needed to do. And instead of relationships, he was worried about revenge. 
Oh, my son, if I only would have those two years I told you to come, but I didn't want to see your face. Oh, if I just would have. Or those three years you were at your grandfather's, if I just would have came after you those three. Or if I just would have stepped in here. Oh, my son, my son, my son. Look at this. Failure to repair a broken relationship inflicts wounds that will never heal. We hold on to grudges way too long. Maybe it's time we go home and we pick up the phone and give that person a call that we refuse to talk to. Maybe we ask God to take that resentment out of our hearts and say, you know what, life is way too short. I'm mad about this, Lord. Life is way too short. Maybe it's time to, to, to tell that person that you're sorry for the things that you said. Because failure to repair a broken relationship inflicts wounds that will never heal on this side of heaven. Praise the Lord, once we're there, that's when it will heal. But on this side, we deal with it. Sister not talking to sister, brother not talking to brother, parent not talking to child. Life is too short to live that way. In fact, it says this right here in the Bible. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all what? With all men. And so, so we must say that there is some times when we do try to pursue reconciliation and the person says, I still don't want to talk to you. Well, now I can put my head down on the pillow and say, I've done my part. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with what? With all men. With all men. So what can we learn about Absalom? He held this anger in his heart and he pursued revenge to his very death. Who are you mad at today? And the question is, is it really worth it? Maybe now's the time that we get right with God and hold on and submit our lives to him. I remember when God got a hold of my heart and I, I went up to somebody and I said, I'm so sorry for offending you in this. And I'll never forget the person's reaction. He said, why did you come here and say this to me? What? Like, in other words, get out of here. Here I was, I was all excited. Maybe if I tell him I'm sorry, we'll be friends again. Oh, that didn't work. So don't go there thinking, oh, if I just apologize, everything's been okay. That doesn't always happen. But here's what does happen. We please God. And our hearts are right with him. And that's what he wants out of our lives. So maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a, a sibling. Maybe it's someone, a friend. It's somebody. But if there's anyone in your heart right now that you're refusing to forgive and holding on Now's the time to get that right. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to hold on to grudges. It's so easy for us to want revenge. We watch it in the movies and we cheer it on when that person gets what he deserves. We see no cheering here in the life of David. 
He's not cheering on that his son Absalom is dead. He's looking back and saying, wow, if I could have done things differently, I should have. So Lord, I pray right now that you would bring that person to our hearts that we're refusing to forgive, that we're holding a grudge in our hearts against. That person may even be dead right now. But right now before you, we open our hearts and we say, God, help me to pursue peace with all those around me. Even when they've done something that has really hurt me. Because you pursued peace with me when I did a lot of things that hurt you. Thank you for the cross that reconciles us to you and to each other. Father, help us to live like believers. If we call upon your name, we should live like that. So may your spirit work in our lives. Would you restore that brother to his brother, that sister to, his, to her sister? that child to their parent, that parent to their child. Whoever it may be, will you do a restoration that only you can do? We ask you. But we come before you, Lord, like David, before you and say, Lord, do what you would please with our lives. And sometimes you allow these relationships to go the way they are so that they would bring us to you. You're the only one that will never fail us. You're the only one that will never forsake us. You're the only one that's always there. Thank you for being an amazing God. We pray in your son's name. Amen.